Take over, everyone. Take over. Hello, and welcome to Yogananda Podcast, where we're discussing the autobiography of Yogi, and we're on chapter 10, part 6. How's everyone doing? Very good. Yeah. Mike's got his Christmas jumper on. Christmas yes. um, cardigan, sorry. Mike does love a good cardigan. I like um, a good cardigan. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> it's, um, I'm in Brazil for the first Christmas ever, and it feels very strange being in 30 degree heat <laughs> and uh, yeah. you know, shorts and t shirts. I hear you, Chris. I went Christmas shopping yesterday at 25 degrees. It's, it's different feeling, different vibes. <laughs> I should be in Ranchi for Christmas tomorrow, Christmas Eve meditation, which should be good. Um, all right, let's start. Um, so this is a very, very important episode. Potentially, you could say the most episode, important episode we've done to date. This is uh, Guruji's explanation and description of his first meeting in this life with his master, Gurudeva Sri Yukteswar. And uh, we will remember in the previous episode that... Um, that Chris led and uh, he was buying some vegetables he'd had enough of his life in Dayananda's ashram and his his legs were unable to carry him away from that uh, face he had seen along that uh, alleyway and uh, he had turned and he had walked then towards this man and this is where we begin Um, but before we do that and because this is such an important episode let's set some context Okay, so firstly, the guru um, is obviously the biggest theme in this in this podcast. So, what does the word guru and the concept of a guru, conception of a guru, mean to us in our and our spiritual path? It can mean many different things to a few different people, but for us, we're sticking to the uh, traditional definition um, and guru. Just to remind people. Guru is one who dispels darkness. Chris? Yeah, I was probably wondering if you could say very much that, the one who dispels darkness. I know for me, looking back before I was initiated um, into the SRF and accepted Yogananda as my guru, it did seem like different between night and day, quite literally, in my mind, in my own consciousness terms of the clarity of mind what was the purpose of life why are we here you know what am i all these kind of big questions seem to be shrouded in darkness so that literal definition is the best definition for me because it does shed light on the path of life and you know focuses focuses the mind on what's important in life so yeah very much the dispeller of darkness is a is a great definition and one that I accept. Mike? Yeah, and when you're on the spiritual path, you need a guru. That is also something that you don't always... I mean, I guess every religion teaches us in their own way that their prophet is their guru in that sense. Um, it's someone who becomes very personal to you after a time. I think Prada Bhaktananda said this thing that he, he went to India and there he learned that God is guru and guru is God. So for him, guru is the, his, his kind of 
personal, I don't, I don't want to say version, but his the, the kind of where he projects his love to and the love then gets relayed to God. So it's it's a most important thing on his spiritual path. Mm. Supplementary, reading to, supplementary reading to this um, episode is, um, well, not reading, listening, his brother and brother and Andamoy's talk on loyalty, the highest spiritual mm. law. In that, in that um, very powerful talk, he talks about a lot of the concepts we're going to talk about in this episode, and I'm going to cross-reference them. One of the things he says that is that the Vedas um, say that uh, a guru is required to essentially for us to um, have attain self-realization. So that is also the context we're referring to here when we're asking ourselves, what is a guru? Chris? Can I read a, a little bit, just taking a few seconds as to what Yogananda himself says about this, um, as to what a guru, guru is. And he says it in a very eloquent, eloquent way. He says, the speaking voice of the silent God guru is one who knows God and who know, who shows the way to him. To follow a divine manifestation is the sure way to God realization. One who knows God becomes the speaking voice of the silent God. Attunement with the wisdom guided will of a true guru teaches one how to guide his will according to God's will. Those who follow the voice of, of their own ego, ascribing it to a halo of divine guidance, find out too late that no amount of deluded rationalization will retrieve, relieve one of the karmic responsibility of wrong actions. To be led by an ego-bound will is to stumble into painful, delusive entanglements. Do not remain entangled, be free. That's Yogananda's take and what you're saying there, Priyanka, about sort of following your ego versus following a guru. Very Damn nice. Much. And uh, yeah, Laura? Yeah, I feel like it's the most beautiful relationship that we can experience on all planes, right? And to have that relationship with where well, we share the same guru, which is amazing in itself. Um, but it's very deeply moving. And like you say, Chris, it's for me, it's that reminder of, well, I can never be lost if I stick by my guru, right? Because how can you? Um, it's a very special thing, isn't it? Yokananda tells us to repair the microphone of our mind, mm. to, you know, to send and receive these messages to, to God and from God. And he says, essentially, the analogy is that the microphone's broken. The receiver may be broken as well. So um, the go-to might then be the guru, because the guru is very much talking to us. You know, is very much speaking to us through all the texts and all the um, lessons and everything that we have. And that is a direct line to God, is the guru, because sometimes we might pray to God, but we don't hear that response. You know, we're not attuned enough. So very much. Um, whenever I heard Yogananda said that, I thought, wow, that's a. It's such a blessing, really, to have this kind of step down for us. <laughs> you know, on this, on this plane, till we, you know, can rise up. 
to the point where mm. we're, we're united with God. Mm. You, you three are way ahead of uh, the game here because my next point to raise was why bother to look for Sorry, this concept concept of a guru. But I think I think you guys have uh, yeah you answered that question. Really <laughs> um, but um, I remember when in my own search um, after reading or whilst reading the autobiography of a yogi, I was really obsessive about this search or the concept the spiritual romantic spiritually romantic concept of searching for a guru and finding your spiritual path it was more like fascination with that whole meaning of life versus like a deep spiritual calling so that for me came a bit later which is uh, interesting um chris yeah it's a funny point actually prank because growing up in ireland i'd never heard mention of the word guru you know growing up in the uk in the circles i was in at the very least it wasn't a talking point i spent my entire life not thinking about it once you know jesus was the closest thing to a guru that i was aware of without knowing it um really obviously but in and the rest but um it wasn't really until i read the autobiography of a yogi and particularly this chapter that i started to actually see really this path that there was a path toward answers and so on and so forth um that the penny dropped for me so this chapter was really one that struck home in a very real and raw way and for the first time really for me so it was it was a very significant first time read very true for most of us i think um most of us in the world i feel unless you're from specifically from india or that indian or um kind of buddhist kind of background um so so you've got this um, idea of a guru, shall we say, but how do you know that this is your guru? How do you know that this is your spiritual path that you're meant to follow? Um, people often, newcomers to the path in the centre, often raise this conversation in lots of different ways. And I always tell them, like, um, keep you know keep working on the lessons keep you know coming to the center working on your meditation develop your devotion all the basics but only take kriya when you know that uh, yogananda is your guru and that knowing will come that came for me as well as i was doing the lessons and that's the only one of the only reasons i took um, kriya went to the next uh, phase but how do you how do you guys do you guys remember the point where you um, knew, yeah, this is it. I think for some, for some people, it comes very quickly and early, but others have to churn, churn like I did, churn a lot, um, which is interesting. Chris? Recall, actually, I was probably one of those students. At some point, I was speaking to a very beloved member of the SRF family in, London, in the London Centre who's passed now, but speaking to her one day, and... Um, I asked her, you know, how, how do I know? What, when do I know? And she said essentially that, you know, um, but she said it in a very much more direct way. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I kind of came away from the conversation thinking like, I know, I know it intuitively, but I wanted to know it sort of, sort of rationally in some way. And the two, it was a, an important lesson to start to really build on that intuition and, 
and um, the message messages that I was receiving, but maybe blocking out because I couldn't rationalize it. It, it wasn't logical in some sense. Um, and so, yeah, I, I do remember the day when I sort of asked the question and came out, out of the conversation surrendering to the idea that I might have been resistant to before, that I sort of wanted and needed a guru. So it was a very sort of pivotal moment um, that, that I had there where sort of penny drop crystallized and I jumped in with both feet. Very nice, Chris. Very nice. Um, I know exactly the direct uh, approach person you're talking about. Mm -hmm. She's very elegant in her ways that she does it as well, or did it, isn't she? Um, so let's, hopefully that's set some good context and it'll give you a flavor or an idea of our mindset as to why we consider this episode so important and why we're going to pull, pull out the elements that we're going to pull out. So let's start with the first uh, word, <laughs> which is Gurudeva exclamation mark so you can imagine this is young mukunda saying speaking directly um to sri yukteswar and um this time he did not use the word master he did not use any other description such as saint or swami he used gurudeva and um mike can you Remind us, as it was described in the previous chapter, what Gurudeva translates as. <clears throat> Divine teacher, the customary Sanskrit term for one spiritual preceptor. Deva, God, combined with Guru, illumined teacher, indicates profound reverence and respect. I have rendered it in English as simply master. Halcyon. Hmm memories mm. of distant no no no, not, no, no okay. not that no <laughs> okay that's a bit later but um yeah so gurudeva so very beautiful first word to to say to someone that you recognize as your guru um and the next line is um the divine face was one i had seen in a thousand visions Very powerful words, a thousand visions, but uh, we know Mukund from Mukunda's early life and sp especially in the, the book Medjda, how much um, or how many visions he had um, and how hard he was seeking this experience that we're, we're going through now, Mike? That's the, the first time he really mentions that, that he had so many visions of, he talked about masters that he saw in the himalayas but i thought i felt if he knew so well what his guru would look like then my question that i had a few episodes ago is like how did he ever think dayananda would be the right ashram for him if he if he didn't have those those kind of experiences um but um it's it's interesting that he like he could have um, recounted the story the other way around where he says, I had all of those visions and I, I went looking and, but he never, he never really went for that. He, he, once he saw Sri Yukteswar, he knew he was the right guy, but not the other way around. 
maybe he maybe when he had those visions he he wasn't sure if his guru would look exactly like in the visions or that like the way life is maybe sometimes something maybe he would have seen his guru but from a different incarnation or something like that but it's um interesting that now that he sees him he knows 100% he's my guru without even talking to him i also feel like <clears throat> when you're first on that kind of search even though you know something isn't right so he probably knew deep down that dynantji wasn't his guru but it's so desperate to kind of get out of the situation that he was in and mm. go on his spiritual quest that you know you become willing to put yourself in in situations that you know aren't particularly the exact right thing um but all no that led him to where he needed to be right which is right his guru's feet so in the end doesn't really matter yeah the words that he used was in it was in chapter 10 part 2 he said that he decided to join a banaras hermitage uh, to receive its spiritual discipline so it wasn't really to say and i think he would have probably said which was to seek out a guru to you know to um, be initiated or so on and so forth but it was quite renowned i think um at the time from the research that we've done to, to to be quite a disciplinarian type school of sorts you know it was something that i think attracted a lot of people where you know they wanted to have that type of uh you know education on spiritualism and hinduism and so on so forth so i'm not sure he was actually going there to seek out a guru I think he, he probably would have said that otherwise. Certainly he's he's found he's found his guru. No. Mm, yeah, I agree, Chris. Yeah, I think um he, with Dainanda he was just that was just probably he knew it was just a stepping stone. Um mm. and as Lauren said, he needed to get out of the uh, cusp of uh, family uh restrictions. How, how ironic. Yeah. <laughs> Why? <laughs> Because um, his path might lead back there at some point. Oh, right, right. <laughs> getting ahead. Getting ahead of the joke. <laughs> uh, going, to, going to your episode next, I think. Um, but it must have been quite um, quite a thing to have a thousand, have had thousands of visions of this one face. Isn't it? Quite a powerful mm. concept. Uh-huh. One that I can't possibly imagine. Mike, can you? Um, the statistics guy in me just came up and was like, "How many visions per day do you need to have in a in a life of a twenty year old?" And it's actually not that many. If you have a if you have a vision every other day, you I, th- I guess you have a vision very frequently in his meditations that you had every day. So I think thousands must be accurate that way. <laughs> yeah. yeah, better we did. Mm-hmm. Because a vision is different from an imagining, isn't it? Mm. And imagining would be something that's a self-constructed thing, whereas a vision mm. is uh, is something mm. that tangibly comes into your perception, uh, inner, your inner, your inner eye. So he's having quite good spiritual experiences by having visions of a face, um, and uh, obviously the first, the first line of the autobiography of a yogi was that you know. The characteristic features of the Indian culture have long been the search for the ultimate verities and the concomitant 
disciple-guru relationship. So he's from his own, you know, he started the autobiography essentially with describing this search and uh, here this now, this line now kind of completes itself, doesn't it? Because this is now, he's found, he's found his guru because he's recognized him from all his visions. And he describes in the next line, <clears throat> describes um, his features. And he describes his features in two different sections of this page. Firstly, he says here, you know, his halcyon eyes. Um, Mike, what does halcyon mean? You were reading it way yeah, before. Eng English is a second language. <laughs> I had to look this up immediately. I came across different different um, definitions of this. So the thing I the thing I settled on was like an adjective that means calm. Um, but I came across so in Greek mythology, Halcyon is apparently a, the kingfisher bird, and um, then there were also uh, other um, definitions that were less of but he used it as an adjective so i went with calm yeah and um i put together a couple of definitions and you, you i think you started reading it out earlier um memories of a distant and happy peaceful past um so and if we obviously read a couple of lines down we know that uh, we know that uh, this this is obviously a long established relationship so that would make sense in what he sees in those eyes then he said it describes the leonine head with a pointed beard and flowing locks and now he describes the um he describes how the visions had actually occurred next but mike before we go there do you want to say something guruji tells us to look for friends from past lives um because we already made the effort to be friends with them in past lives. And that's why we will have an easier time to have friendships in this one. And I think this is also the ultimate friend that he found here from a past life. So this must also, not just in the sense that I found my guru, but also I found a dear, dear friend from a past time. And there must have been a lot of love also that he felt for him. Indeed. Um, he also, Brother Nandamoy also says in, in this talk about loyalty, he mentions this. He says, when we meet someone and we get along really well with them, whatever the nature of the relationship is, whether it's friendship or pure friendship or, you know, a life partner, um, if, if it is a really wonderful relationship, it's one that we've, we've worked on together in past lives. And um, that's a normal and ordinary human relationship but one with a guru disciple if that's how long it takes for us to establish a friendship with a, a mundane relationship you could describe it compared to the guru imagine how many lifetimes how many multiple more lifetimes worked on that relationship um, which is uh, another thing that's beautifully expressed in um, the brother and the boys talk chris i think i've said this before on the podcast but i'll say it, again, coincidentally, that lesson that we're talking about um, in the old lessons was the lesson that I was reading when I first met my wife. And I was like, look, you know, this, <laughs> this is this is how I feel about you. You know, I was all excited about it. Um, so it came, came into my life at, at the right time, but encapsulated just what you're saying, Frank, you know, how we sort of 
hit it off with people you know the first time and you know gel very well <clears throat> i think it's um it's definitely something that makes me appreciate the value in building positive relationships with people in this life because you never know you know you've got to work on it not just in this, this life it's going to come back and come back and come back so it's a very healthy mature attitude i think when you're looking at your relationships I think one one thought that can make your love for Guru more alive is imagine the same thing would happen to you in a in a future life. You walk down an alley, and then you see the the future incarnation of Paramahansa Yogananda in in front of you, and then you can see how this life where he wasn't incarnated at the same time as you has brought you even closer together, even though you didn't see him physically. Mm. It's already happened, Mike, right now in the multiverse version of yourself. The multiverse, and three, yes. And three um, I, how was that, Mike? Was that a good experience? <laughs> I don't. I don't like to. I don't, for me, there's no multiverse. It's too complicated in my head. So. Okay, let's take the multiverse just, where you where you do get it, and you can describe it beautifully. Go. Yeah, only in the multiverse. There's only one. <laughs> okay that i like enough yeah. enough enough geek talk <laughs> right. um so so he's described his his face you know his features here and he does only half of it really because he's going to talk about the rest of his appearance later but now he describes what he'd seen in these visions i that he'd said had oft peered through the gloom of my nocturnal reveries holding a promise i had not fully understood mm. mysterious holding a promise that i had not fully understood so clearly he's these these visions aren't just spiritual experiences they have a very profound meaning and a promise that he's saying he had not so potentially now he does understand what do you what do you take from it mike possibly he saw him and he didn't know he was going to be his guru. Possibly he saw him as another person. And he, he probably had visions of, of many different people. And he maybe also didn't know that he would be his guru in this lifetime. Um, so maybe in that way, it makes sense why he didn't just say I only accept this person as a guru because I saw him in my visions because maybe it wasn't like that. What popped into my mind was <clears throat> I do love a bit of speculation on these things <clears throat> is um Yogananda went on to be a guru himself and had a has a very large following and brought yoga to the West essentially right and established it in, in a great way. Um and we know God chooses gurus. And it's a great privilege and, you know, the individual has to be willing to essentially sacrifice themselves in some way to kind of reincarnate and um, serve others and be of service to others. So that's a great promise that maybe Yogananda's soul, Yogananda's soul made to God. And that's this great thing that's going to unfold for Yogananda. Um, and so that service is something that I thought maybe Yogananda in this at this time as Mukunda didn't quite understand 
all the responsibilities and developments that he was going to undertake himself. And maybe Sri Yukteswar saw all that very clearly being an avatar of sorts, self. Mm. The promise that I had interpreted was the guru, the guru's promise to the disciple, as long as the disciple stays, mm. you know, loyal, is to deliver essentially promises, you know, Mukunda and Sri Yukteswar later in this chapter essentially make each other promise to each other that they'll you know reveal god and this is i think the promise that he could potentially be talking about but it is very mysterious um i must say and it's um very spiritually romantic beautiful language isn't it? it it touches a nerve but we we can't really grasp it but in the film uh, awake um, the life of yogananda there was a similar experience, I thought, and and related um, professor or Dr. Clooney, who we had on this podcast from Harvard University, said it quite well. Um, Lauren, do you want to repeat? Mm. He said, we're conflicted beings as humans. One of the deepest things about us is that our lives don't make sense, except in the mystery. Yogananda provided us a vocabulary to talk about the human spirit that got away from dogma and doctrine and ritual. Whether it be a Hindu, Muslim, Christian, Jewish, whatever tradition you're part of, Yogananda charted a path inward that connected you with your own divinity. There you have it. So Yogananda did that for us, and mm. clearly Sri Yogeshwar um, was going to do it, or had done it from him in a previous incarnation, and is going to do it, as we know, in this incarnation. That could be it, potentially. <clears throat> so, the next section is really about Sri Yukteswar. And it, could you, I don't think you could get a better first line um, from a guru, a more um, evocative, a more beautiful, you know, heart-pulling, um, narrative. The first words he says, Oh my own, you have come to me. Oh my own. So, oh my own is a, it's just three words, but uh, very, very powerful words and quite powerful for, um, I think, SRF devotees because Guruji uses these lines very often to you know invoke in us the, the devotion to to call god our own because you know we are his own um and brother nandamoy um tell talks about this very very beautifully in that loyalty talk so i really recommend you listen to that um but he ends that talk with you are his own and he is your own and that once you've realized those two beautiful things, those doors and windows open up. And he also said, um, Sister Gyanamata, one of um, Guruji's uh, most advanced disciples, was um, was doing some work for Master, doing it, um, you know, very, very dedicatingly. And um, she, she said, um, his work is my work. You know, that's the level of... Um, 
devotion with which she was serving her guru. You know, it's not his work; it's my work; it's our work. You know, his 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 will is my will. Thy will be done, not mine. It's all um, very, very, very beautifully encapsulated in in, in my own. Or yeah, and I also found a very beautiful section in the second coming of Christ that uh, Jesus Christ also alludes to um, and it's it's described in this section as Jesus' intercessionary prayer for his disciples that they may be one with God um, and it's in Discourse 72. Mike can you start us with that reading please? I am praying for the redemption of those whom thou sent to me for guidance and deliverance to thy kingdom, for they belong to thee, owing to their awareness of thee. All devotees who belong to me belong to thee, and all who are thine I also embrace as my own. My Christ consciousness is glorified in the glory of thy power manifested in these thy true devotees. Jesus humanly feels the responsibility for the attainment of his disciples during his absence. He knew that after his departure, Satan would seize on any karmic weaknesses within them and use it to try to destroy their spiritual lives. So Jesus ma makes the fervent plea to the Father. Thou givest the disciples to me. They belong to thee and me. And that is why thou must protect them from the influence of evil during my absence. For I want successfully to carry out thy wishes in helping them to save them themselves by finishing their earthly karma. Jesus asked the Father to keep the disciples in his holy presence through thine own name, through the cosmic vibration emanating from God, which is heard by the devotees in meditation, that they may be one as we are in attunement and oneness with the intrinsic unity of Christ consciousness and cosmic consciousness. In the manner of a true guru savior, Jesus prays that all his disciples enjoy the same divine communion that he has. Priyank, you are on mute. I think this also expresses what the promise that he could have been referring to that he did not fully understand. Jesus, Jesus um, elaborates beautifully on this concept here of uh, his own and God's own being one. Um, and so Sri says, oh my own, you have come to me. Um, my guru uttered the words again and again in Bengali. His voice was tremulous with joy. And this reveals what I, um, I'd like, I, I can't, I don't, I don't, I dread, I dare not use the word emotional because um, emotional feels too um, human. This kind of transcends, uh, you know, gross emotions into the more subtle realms of, you know, soul and soul joy. Um, Mike, what do you think? <clears throat> Seems that. Sri Yukteswar also has more context than Mukunda has at this point of past lives, I think, um, because he seems very 
very sure of everything, whereas Mukunda is experiencing this in in the sense of that he's he, he's discovering things and he's discovering that Triyoteshwar is going to be his guru. Remember in the beginning of the book, The Autobiography of a Yogi, he told he told the story of Elijah and Elysius. How how they were one was the guru and the other one was the disciple. And then in the next incarnation they switched roles. And so maybe Sri Yogteshwar looks at Mukunda, maybe he was his guru in his past incarnation or something like that. So I can I can see so for Sri Yogteshwar this all seems very very open and 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 he he knows exactly who Mukunda is and that how much he means to him. I agree with you, Prank, about the maybe the shallowness of the words of feeling emotional when when you read it, because that is actually initially how I felt, you know, that emotion. Um, but I imagine for Yogananda, it made him be satisfied. So it wasn't so much the feeling he, he became satisfied at the reunification of this great soul in his life. And that's probably the a derivative of the satisfying feeling of samadhi, of unification with, with God, in a sense, that coming together of these great souls must be so satisfying. And he spent a whole lifetime feeling that urge and that desire and that, that, that will within him to go out and seek this guru that he's now finally with. Mm. Something that really struck me just now when you were talking about it is the joy of a guru when his disciple comes and I think it's perhaps something well I know I haven't reflected on that much but it's right here isn't it in in the autobiography and we get it later on as well with Babaji and Ahiri Mahasha you know they wait so long for us to come back and actually that's a joyous reunion for them as much as it is for us and perhaps even more deeply so because they understand more deeply what what that is than we do um so it's actually a big wow moment isn't it really reading this we can interrelate it in our own relationship with our guru indeed um but for people that you know, aren't seeing this um, from a position of experience of establishing, you know, a relationship with a guru, it's still very much um, relatable because mm -hmm. I remember, you know, when, when my grandmother would, you would see me after a few years, um, this, you know, I'd moved from India to the United Kingdom and I'd go back after a few years and she'd be so emotional and she was like she'd say to like you know, my son and she'd like stroke my hair and put it all the way back i still remember it you know? <laughs> and but she'd have tears in her eyes at, at the reunion so i think we all you know have experiences of um you know family and friends being overjoyed at the reunion um so we can relate everyone can relate to this moment um, um whether it's on you know the the simple level of, of family and friends or the most deepest level i two souls being um reacquainted in, in this life which is uh, which is quite a powerful um yeah and as as lauren says yeah you know 
God is, is essentially waiting for us, right, to, to turn to turn back towards Him, and um, yeah, He He suffers when we suffer, um, but He doesn't intervene because that's free will, right? It's our, we've got to be our choice to turn turn to Him, um, and similarly, the Guru, you know, He's He's always ready to come into your life, but you have to. Be that one that turns in his direction you know shunning shunning all the lesser lesser things that you have prioritized your whole life up to this moment which is quite quite a beautiful thought um the next sentence he says is how many years i've waited for you which uh, further emphasizes you know his weight because he is as mike said he's you know he's seen the He's seen this film. <laughs> he knows how it ends, um, but he didn't know how long it would take to for this reunion in this life to to come. Um, and in brother, in, in brother and Moy's talk, um, he mentions uh, um, one of the disciples. This was like four days before Paramahansa Yogananda took his Mahasamadhi. He said one of one of the disciples um, came to see him, and after after you know pledging his life to Guruji and this was his first time that he'd actually physically met Master and uh, Master you know, he was waiting apparently he was waiting to, to go somewhere but he, he stopped and he took his hat off and then they had this very 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 beautiful moment and all he said and Brother Nilamboy was listening in on this conversation he took his hat off and all he said was loyalty is the highest spiritual law and this 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 disciple came to him, you know, he only knew Master in this incarnation for four days. So he came to him just four days before his departure. So, you know, this three dish where doesn't know how long he's going to have to wait, but he knows he's, he's going to come. But, you know, time time is uh, immaterial in, in matters of the soul. Like one second can be infinity or, you know, 10 years can be one second. Um, but yeah, Mike. Yeah. And been quite a few years in Sri Yukteswar's incarnation before he actually met Yogananda. He was born in 1855. So he must have been, I would guess, 57, 58 years old at this point. So, and I don't know if you would call this the highlight of his incarnation, but maybe one of them. <laughs> yeah. But it came, came quite late. Yeah. Guruji, Guruji describes the uh, maths a bit later. 55 mm. is the uh, approximation, but we'll cap that a bit later. Um, and then he, so he says, we entered a oneness of silence. Words seemed the rankest super superfluities. So they entered some silence, um, and we've talked about interiority moments, and I count this as the ninth, um, probably the most important one to date. Um, so I'm making, I'm making a list. It seems to be one. An average one a chapter, Mike. So this sets them apart from everything else I know from life, you know, because they they see they meet each other like as long lost friends, kind of, and show all this love, and then they say a few words, and then they suddenly both sit down and meditate. So this is um, I guess if there would have been a third person present, they would have thought what's going on here, um, but. He says it very beautifully. He said, we entered a oneness of silence. 
So they must have both communed in meditation with each other. Yeah, some an external observer may think, oh, they must um, must not like speaking to each other much <laughs> in the, in social settings. If they're silent, then you know they're not really getting along very well. Are you? <laughs> have much to say to each other? They ran out of things to say quickly. <laughs> yeah, so they'll they'll soon uh, depart each other's company. Eh? But no, how deluded. Um, but the next line. Um, further exemplifies this so he says eloquence flowed in soundless chant from the heart of master to, master to disciple and it also says the previous line is words seemed the rankest superfluities which does that does that chris does that render podcasting about mm -hmm. this stuff um, adding more words to it does that render it uh, useless <laughs> you know it did just remind me about the unspoken word and why one one must be careful to actually be mindful of the thoughts and your feelings because that actually is transmuted in a sense because that's what i'm getting from this is that there was a genuine trans uh <clears throat> conversation let's say happening between the two that didn't take form of words so you know it's pretty pretty good uh, a good reminder you know don't uh, don't harbor something different in your heart that you know you wouldn't want to be spoken um in words very well put very well put yeah we can only conjecture at what the actual conversation was but um Giriju gives us a hint in the next line because um he hints at what Sridhishwar's purpose is, I suppose, in his life and what any guru's purpose is in a disciple's life. And he said, um, he says, with an antenna of irrefragable insight, I sensed that my guru knew God and would lead me to him. Um, so this antenna sounds very much like a, a very live intuition feeling. And this is potentially something that they were communicating but without words at this point when they were in that interiority and silence moment again we don't know we can only assume we can only uh theorize the, you know Bebe is it is here in the next line so it wouldn't be unfounded um the obscurations of life he goes on to say disappear in a fragile dawn of prenatal memories. Now, this I read to mean that um, you know he's he's been searching for a guru and he's done lots of things that um, he may you know we we we've done lots of things that we may not be too happy with. But um, essentially, a lifetime of delusion or frustrations is like vanished here. That's what I that's why right the obscurations of this life disappeared in a fragile dawn of prenatal memories. And it's like, it's almost like um, when I, you know, when a man, you're drowning and you don't know if you're gonna find find <laughs> air, but then you, you find air and then you're like, oh, that breath, but then you forgot, you forget all that struggle and strife that was happening under the water shortly after you're ashore. But yeah, Mike, what do you think? 
I read it a bit differently. I, I thought this would be a similar moment to when Lahir Mahashai comes to Babaji and suddenly remembers his past lives in the caves with Babaji. And I felt I thought this was the moment where past life memories or or maybe memories in the astral plane of him and Sri Yukteswar being together um, suddenly came to him and this obscuration kind of disappeared of those that those memories were hidden. That's what I thought. Could be, um, but uh, is um, when when he has his moment of um, of cosmic consciousness and experience of cosmic consciousness, he um, describes what you're saying. I.e., all memories of past incarnations come to him. Mm. So again, this could be a prelude to that. Um, mm. But certainly, I think we can all agree that um, the obscurations of his present life are now, you know, behind him because he's now with his um, his guru. His, uh, the purpose of his life has been fulfilled up to this point. Um, and then he says, dramatic time, past, present and future in its and its cycling scenes. Mm. So, um, some 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 hints of uh, yoga's discussions there, but we won't we won't go into that. Um, and this now next section is really beautiful. He says, "This was not the first sun to find me at these holy feet. Mm -hmm. This was not the first sun to find me at these holy feet." And that is quite a stunning way to suggest that the relationship was a one that was had in many many previous lifetimes um and if you if you clearly see the order that he said in this one he said this is not the first son to find me at these holy feet uh, so he kind of very clearly suggests that strict were in those incarnations that he's referring to he was the disciple and sri Yukteswar was a um, was the guru um and there's um you know, I think we, we all you know, take for granted, but we know that the, you know, every time we say the prayer, we know the lineage and the order. But there's also there's always um, some people that uh, there's rumors out there that Sri Yukteswar was like a surrogate guru, and Yogananda's actual guru was Mahavatar Babaji. Um, but uh, here, I think uh, it kind of dispels that uh, rumor in this in this line. Um, and uh, you know, that that theory wouldn't necessarily have credence from what we're seeing, what we're reading here. But it's again, it's very beautifully put in a romantic, spiritual language. Mm -hmm. So the next section is really about um, Sukhdeshwar's physical appearance, and I'm glad um, Yogananda has gone through these in a bit of detail. Um, because if we look at the pictures of Sri Yukteswar that we do have, they're not very good, are they? Like even the picture we have on the altar, it's if you compare it, if you look at it, look at it quite closely, compare it to the other gurus. That's the blurriest one. Sri Yukteswar's face is for some reason blurry, so we don't have a very like crisp picture of Sri Yukteswar. But here. Guruji has done us a service of describing him in really quite a lot of a lot of detail. But first he says, um, my hand in his, 
he says, my guru led me to his temporary residence in the Rana Mahal section of the city. Now, I was um, very near this section of the city just today, actually, as uh, fortune would have it, <laughs> Mike. In, a, in another section, he calls it um, the Bengali part of the city. And that that I found that interesting because Bengal is a, is a different language than like, I guess Hindi is what they speak in the other part. And and so you you basically have a multi multicultural city there, right? And I guess people who speak the same language gather in the same area. But um, it's interesting that India has so much cultural diversity. Mm -hmm. It does indeed. So now he describes his um, physical. So actually first, um, you will remember that uh, he says, my hand in his, which is quite a nice moment, isn't it? Imagining that moment. Um, and I, I think you'll recall that I said that this is not uncommon amongst uh, two two members of the same sex in um, in India um, and it's not a romantic uh, it's not a romantic indication it's one of uh, friendship and love um, that transcends sex as it were so um, yeah I'll, I'll talk about that a bit later um, and about this as Rana Mahal section of the city a bit later as well after, after I spend a bit more time there um, so yeah, so he describes now the um, the physical appearance. Firstly, he says his athletic figure moved with firm tread. Now, this would have been particularly um, attractive to Mukunda because, um, as we know from Mejda, Mukunda was very, very much into physical exercises and sports and wrestling and all these kind of things. Um, so seeing a guru that wasn't, um, you know, meek, essentially, he was very, very athletic. So he would have been attracted to that. And it kind of fit the bill of what he would uh, kind of want from a guru. So that's quite nice. So then he describes, um, this describes him as tall, erect. And he says about Mike, 55 at the time. So I did some maths, just as you did, Mike. And uh, if he was 55, then Mukunda was either 17 or 18, depending yeah. on which month of the year they met. Of course, we do not know that information. Checks out. Yeah. <laughs> but it does check out, because uh, we know he left school. So uh, my bet was that he was 18. Um, so yes, so it does check out. <laughs> um, so... Now he describes him as an active and vigorous as a young man. Now this is this is a important lesson I think. Active and vigorous as a young man. I I went to my um one of my distant uncles had a ninety I think ninetieth birthday yeah just a couple of weeks ago, and he is like he doesn't look ninety basically he's like completely mm. physically fit and. Exactly as Sudhakdeshwar is being described here, he's got a firm step, he's got a very erect posture and he like gets involved. Like I was I was on my way to work once and um he was just he was there, he's he he was going into a house that he was repairing or something. And um he asked me to for, for help. So then I went to help him and we were lifting cement bags and stuff together. And um, this and he was like he was like 90 and I was like, I can't I can't believe that he's doing all this stuff, but 
he because he is so active i guess he is you know he's retained his youth because of his um very physical and active life so that's uh, some clues for us as to how to retain everlasting youth and it's uh, not done by um, there's no mention of here going into labs and injecting yourself with all sorts of crazy hormones or anything lauren Mm, something I've often noticed is that yogis generally look very young and youthful. Um, you only have to look around the London Centre and just think, oh, you know, wow, everyone looks really young. And then suddenly they reveal how old they are and go, oh, wow. <laughs> you know, so there's definitely something to that, isn't there? Mm, definitely. And he describes the important section he says his his eyes were large beautiful with plumless wisdom plumless here means very deep body of water so you can imagine what it would have been like to look into Suryukdeshwar's eyes mm -hmm. um then it then it says slightly curly hair softened a face of striking power and i'm sure i speak for all of us when i say that we're very glad that his hair softens the striking power because he's he's quite a he's quite a spectacle to look at, isn't he? It's a jarring, jarring energy, isn't it? For, for you. And um, I think everyone else kind of doesn't want essentially doesn't want you don't ever want to be told off by sweet fish, would you? You wouldn't mind getting, <laughs> you don't you wouldn't you wouldn't you wouldn't mind getting told off by uh, Paramatsya would under you wouldn't mind getting told off by Lahiri Mahashai, but Sri Yukteswar, if he told you off, I'm sure you, <laughs> you could feel it, Mike. Yeah, but at the same time, he has this the this kind of part to him that is very loving in a way that is like like what we said earlier, like he doesn't express the love, but he but he, you just feel it from him. Like I have Shiyoteshwar pictures in my in my apartment and in in places because I find them, I I find them very positive. When I wake up in the morning and I look at Shiyoteshwar's picture, I feel, I don't, yeah, I don't know. I I I feel very. It, it's it's a very positive appearance in my life, Shiyoteshwar. So. I, I know, like, sometimes when I feel like, oh, I did something wrong and I look at the picture, maybe. <laughs> maybe that's the, yeah, but but in in general, I, I, I think that there's a lot of love emanating from his persona. And for being known as such a disciplinarian and being quite <clears throat> a challenge for even those seekers who wanted a, a yogic path to follow, he didn't have many disciples. He, we, we know he only had a few a handful of disciples, really, that could stick at it through his harsh disciplinary kind of style. But yet we see here, he says, oh, my own, you've come to me. How many years have I waited for you? It's so gentle, soft, loving. You know, the two almost don't match, but that's the polarity of the reality of his, his love. And, and Yogananda, in a later chapter, we'll, we'll read, but he's sort of begging for Sri Yukteswar to actually just tell him that he, he loves him because he, he doesn't actually use the words as much. 
Yes. We'll talk about this in the next episode. Yeah. It's the next episode. It's the next episode. Oh, sorry. Yeah. No, no, no. I thought it was much later, but. So yeah, like we you know, we know he's a man of few words, right? And but yeah, he, here he is. You know, this outpouring of love is is pretty pretty moving. Yeah, the next line sums it up quite well. Strength mingled with strength ming mingled subtly with gentleness. Mm. Very, very nicely. Mm. But um, but about this, I remember um, I think I was listening to a talk by uh, Rinalini Mata, and um, she was saying he, she was saying that once. Um, uh, Guruji was really, really telling off Dayamata, like really telling her off, like at the most um, minorest of, of things. And um, and then later, someone approached Guruji saying, um, "You know, that was that was really, really harsh." And um, Guruji essentially said that um, you know Dayamata is not uh, not one to like be, you know. She can take it essentially. She's accepted mm -hmm. my training in all its forms um, and discipline, um, you know, in whichever form that um, I know is needed at the time. Is issues, uh, and that's that's what differentiates Diamata from the others, I suppose. Um, Chris, no, um, I was inspired by Mike uh, many episodes ago where he said um, the little book, Mike, that you carry around with you everywhere is it um i forget the name here's the light there there is light that's the very book there um where there where is there's light. light yeah and i almost use that as my you know direct line to guruji sometimes when i just i'm walking out the door i just I want to pick up the book open it at a random point and sometimes it's firm and fair and stern and a bit more disciplinary and then other times it's this loving kind you know sort of approach and I just use that as you know his direct speech to me, and it's so funny how often it is relevant to exactly what it is that I need at that time. But um, yeah, I had I had one today that you know just sort of got me back in line with a couple of things <laughs> that I was thinking about, and I just thought that this is a, a nice way for Guruji to help discipline us in this life. Mm. Indeed, I need to read that book. But that um, we'll we'll end it there, I think, unless anyone's got um, any more to add. Mike uh, is going to take us forward into the next uh, very important sections. And again, more moving sections of of this beautiful episode of the reunion between these two souls. So thank you again, everyone, and the three of you for joining us. And uh, we shall see you next time. Take care. Thank you.